here with Hannah Brackhouse. Uh, you are stationed in Rome for Catholic News Agency, and you've worked for CNA for how long now? I've been in Rome for two and a half years with Catholic mm -hmm. News Agency. So pretty much right out of college, you started CNA? Or? Just about. It was, mm -hmm. I think, a little over a full year after I graduated from university that I ended up there. Mm -hmm. And you studied, you were sh sharing with me, you studied literature, and how did you get over to journalism? Well, I started out by studying, like I said, literature, um, and I knew I wanted to do something with writing or with books. I originally thought publishing, but I ended up having an internship with Catholic News Agency in Denver mm -hmm. um, during right after my sophomore year of university, and so that really sparked it for me. That's where I also, I mean, they taught me how to write like a journalist. And, um, and so then after I graduated, I was looking for something still in the Catholic media. I had another internship later on in university. It was also in the Catholic media sphere. And I just felt like that's where I was called to be. And then um, when this opportunity came up to go to Rome, I was really thrilled. Yeah. And I wanted to talk to you, just hear about it, because I didn't know this, but you're homeschooled go to college, you're in your mid-20s now, and you're thrown into Rome. How does that adjustment been? <laughs> well, it's been, I mean, it's been great overall, but mm -hmm. I think anyone who has ever lived in another country could probably tell you that the beginning is a lot of highs and lows. Um, just a lot of really great experiences and then a lot of challenges too, as you mm -hmm. adjust to a new culture, a new mm -hmm. job, a new language. Um, mm -hmm. And a new beat, too, with work, because covering the Vatican is very much a unique experience, I think, compared to covering other kinds of news. So you you cover the Pope and the Vatican. How many people are from CNA are in Rome? For CNA specifically, we're three people. Mm -hmm. um, we have two full-time Rome correspondents, myself and a colleague, Courtney Grogan. And then we have a third who works both for an, the Italian agency, so the um, called Aci Stampa, they're our Italian language version, um, and then he also writes in English as well, Andrea Gagliarducci. Now, do you go to like the, the EWTN news office there? Do you have a little space there? We do. We work in the Rome Bureau of EWTN, okay. and we share office spaces with the TV crew that's there as well. And so we have a good collaborative relationship of helping each other with interviews, sharing contacts. Um, 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 yeah, basically that, you know, whether or sometimes going on the TV programs that they'd like us to speak about some event that's happening in Rome, yeah. things like that. And your own personal faith, is it a challenge to see all the, how the sausage is made there in Rome? I mean, has that been a challenge for you? Yeah, I'd say a little bit. Um, I'm lucky that I grew up with a really, you know, faithful family that really taught me to, to believe in the church and to have trust in the church mm -hmm. that Jesus founded. Because it is true that in Rome, you do sometimes get to see or have to see or witness, you know, mm -hmm. some of the less, the less pleasant parts of the church, um, mm -hmm. or the, you know, the fallen people that are running yeah. the church. 
um, and working for the church. But I think, I guess, maybe the perspective that's helped me is remi- like being reminded of you know my own sinfulness as well mm-hmm. and the imperfection imperfection of that and um, and it's really encouraged me to just even strengthen that faith and that trust mm-hmm. in the church that Jesus Christ instituted, that that's what we believe. And, mm-hmm. um, and you know, being in Rome, we're also surrounded by so much history and a lot of history of the church. Mm-hmm. And that's also great perspective and context because when you learn about the history of the church, you realize that the church has never been filled with perfect people or had a perfect period. And so it can help you have this more long view of like, even if right now is a really difficult period in the church, this is not all there is. In fact, we're all living also for, you know, something else after this. And so that's also kind of my perspective, even when I see something that like, wow, that's even just in the world, whether it's not the church, but just that's really unjust. Uh And maybe it seems like there isn't a good way to bring about justice right now. I try to remember mm-hmm. that, like, remind myself that, you know, in the end, like, Jesus will judge everything and yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and at least then, you know, we'll have real justice, so. Is there a particular, like, church history story that you kind of encourages you? Or, you know, like, maybe a, a story of, well, that they had problems then, and that kind of encouraged. Is there something you could share with the rest of us to help us? Oh. <laughs> well, uh, history, I have to say for thought, history is not, like, my expertise. Yeah. So I'm not, like, so good at the details. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's obviously lots of mm-hmm. crazy things that went on in papal yeah. history, yeah. Um, which I know a yeah. lot of people are familiar with. But um, I think something that our whole agency, whole, all of Catholic news agency has been talking about is the witness of St. Catherine of Siena. Mm-hmm. We've been thinking about that a lot and her approach um, and the way that she like saw something was wrong in the church and mm-hmm. um, with the Pope of that time and her way to address it was in a way that she was trying to bring about unity, not mm-hmm. cause disunity. And mm-hmm. so we've been just talking about how can we also in our work serve the church in a way that serves unity Mm -hmm. you know not disunity um as well so yeah yeah i think that would i mean i think about that in preaching as well that you know you want to this is way before your time but i remember as actually kind of before my time too when the ratzinger report came out i remember hearing uh i'm just forgetting his name he's a professor at steubenville but when this it was an interview with Cardinal Ratzinger, head of the CDF at the time, and he and he he just named problems in the church. Regis Martin, and he he said that was like the first time, if I'm quoting him right, that like this resonated with him. He said, "I see the same thing," and he'd never heard like a high churchman speak this way. And uh, so, yeah, it wasn't all good news about things. You know, he was giving an analysis of problems, Cardinal Ratzinger. And, uh, and sometimes I think as a preacher too, it's like you almost have to say things and say, okay, and person hears it, say, okay, I'm not crazy because I see that too. Nobody's mentioning that. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to scandalize people <laughs> or say things that aren't. How do, you, how do you walk that line? Right, right. Because, I mean, scandal is a real issue. I think the way, this is just the way that I personally think about it, but is the fact that when a sin has been committed, like the sin is already 
the scandal. Uh -huh. You know, the person committing a sin or or causing undue scandal. Mm -hmm. That that's the the real scandal. And while we shouldn't go out of our way to cause more, uh -huh. if by so if someone's actions are hurting the church or yeah. harming other people, then it, we have a duty to report it. to report on that, mm -hmm. um, and we have a duty to bring those things to light so that they can be repaired. Mm -hmm. um, it's never just about bringing just bringing it up just to bring it up or just to point at it or just to um, talk about it or gossip about it or, or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Or that as well, you know, that this mm -hmm. is about um you know bringing these things to light, um reporting on these things is ultimately about what will help the church. Mm -hmm. Um and the fact is just that you know, if the sin has been committed, if the thing has happened, th that can't be undone. So that that's that's already, right. you know, that scandal's right. already there. You know, it seems today too, you know, John Paul II, Vatican II, talking about the role of the laity, John Paul really preached and taught so eloquently on it. It seems like the laity has a new power and influence over the governance of the church. And it, in a in such a in a good way, can put a pressure on the church to address certain problems and issues, and it takes an informed laity, right, to do that. Do you see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. we've been talking about that as uh -huh. well, like uh, and what it is a unique role that mm -hmm. the laity have that um, that, like you said, John Paul II talked about mm -hmm. um, about what what we need to do. Yeah, and he was so eloquent, like with journalists and like writing. I don't know, like Jubilee for journalists, probably, or something. Where, uh, well, I think in the Washington D.C. office, they have a big quote from him about the role of the journalists, and you know, talking about the importance of it. And sometimes we don't, we see it clearly in politics. Maybe sometimes we don't see it in church workings as well. But uh, that's been your experience. Like you, you feel like you're helping people and informing them, and they, and overall, it helps the church. Yeah, I hope so. Mm -hmm. I mean, I definitely feel responsibility in my position, um, and I'm sure that it's shared mm -hmm. by my colleagues that um, we don't take our jobs lightly. Like we recognize the significance um, and the importance that what we're doing. And I guess I don't mean that in a big-headed way, yeah. but just that the, that the church um, needs this service right now especially yeah yeah now you your first papal trip you were on the plane pope francis is known for giving exciting uh, press interviews on the plane <laughs> one of my friends said i wish he just watched the movie you know <laughs> but you were on the plane to dublin tell us about that yeah i was um i was privileged to have my first opportunity to go with the press corps the papal mm -hmm. press corps um, aboard the plane to and from Dublin with Pope Francis and the other Vatican journalists. Um, and as, like you said, everybody knows, there's a big press conference yeah. at the end. But um, he was going to Dublin, the Pope was going to Dublin for the World Meeting of Families. What was a little less expected was the fact that Archbishop Vigano's now mm -hmm. famous letter um, mm -hmm. was published that same weekend, right in the midst of that two-day trip. Um, so it was basically the last 
day, I think, all of the journalists woke up. It was Sunday morning. We're supposed to fly back to Rome that night. And that was um, when we were all reading. We mm -hmm. all got the notice about the news and we're reading the letter by Archbishop Vigano. So then there were some decisions that had to happen that day, as there always are, but about what the journalists will be asking the Pope on the plane. Um, and that's a group effort, so it's usually divided by language journalists. So the English-speaking journalists get together and decide mm -hmm. on a question, Spanish-speaking, French, German, mm -hmm. Italian, um, and the journalists of the country that he was just in also mm -hmm. ask a question. Um, so that day there was obviously a lot of discussion and a lot of opinions flying around mm -hmm. about what this letter meant yeah. and should we ask the Pope about it, should we not? And uh, in the end, it prevailed to yeah. ask him about it. What country asked the question? Was it? Um, so the journalist that asked the question is American. Um, oh. We also decide among ourselves oh. who will ask the question, but, um, but it's the question that we all have to come up with together, so. Where was the journalist from? What organization? She is, um, I believe, the producer in Rome for CBS. Okay. Her name is Anna Matranga. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, TV journalist, yeah. And he, in his answer, he spoke to, if I remember right, he spoke to journalists and... Um, Asked them to use their skill and talents to analyze the letter. You're a journalist. You were there in person. You speak yeah. Italian. He was speaking Italian, or right? Yeah. yeah, Italian. Yeah. So, what was your impression? What did you think? What came to mind? Yeah, I'm. My feeling, just being in the same space, and I wasn't sitting super close to him um, where he was standing, but my feeling was that it was a little bit. It was a little bit patronizing. It was mm -hmm. a little, it wasn't quite so free, like you guys are good at your jobs. Like I give this over to you, especially followed by like, oh, I'm not going to answer your mm -hmm. question. You know, that, that answer, I'm not going to mm -hmm. say a single word. Um, I think like that was, at least for me and I think for others, like that was a pretty big blow to get yeah. that answer. And not that we expected him to launch into a big explanation, but I think we all felt that that was, if there was ever a question that really deserved a fair and, um, and a humble answer, right. that was a question that deserved it. Um, and we definitely asked from a place, at least on my part, a place mm -hmm. of humility, a place of just, mm -hmm. you're before us, we've just read this letter, it's quite devastating really mm -hmm. of a letter, you know, can you answer? Mm -hmm. something from this can you respond to this um and uh and so that was a difficult answer i think it was difficult for for everyone yeah, who yeah. who read that yeah that was that was my feeling because he, he had like i i watched the video of it and they had the subtitle translation and and his style and everything came across in this very grandfatherly way but then i thought that was like the biggest sidestep in history I've ever seen, you know? Yeah. And uh, mm -hmm. so it kind of troubled me. It really troubled me. Was, I mean, I, I wish maybe you would have said, oh, let me think about it. Let me look yeah, at it. Let sure. me talk to some people, study, you know, and, but. Sure. Um, yeah, something that um, has kind of emerged from that that I've been thinking about lately is 
Right. So he kind of, I mean, he did kind of give it back to the journalists and say, mm. like, okay, well, like, just do your jobs and yeah. look, you can look yeah. into these things that that Archbishop Vigano says. Yeah. Um, and obviously journalists have, you know, Catholic journalists, secular journalists all across the board have looked mm. into things as much as they've been able to. And um, not to switch topics too much, sorry, mm. but we just had a Vatican um, summit on the sex abuse crisis mm. recently. And... There were a lot of journalists there from all over the world. And I can't help but feel like maybe looking back to Dublin, that that was the start, at least in my impression, of a little bit of an attitude that's developing of the journalists versus the hierarchy or the journalists versus the Pope or versus mm -hmm. the Catholic mm -hmm. Church that I personally find pretty troubling, especially as a Catholic journalist, because mm -hmm. I don't see it as me against the Pope mm -hmm. or us against the Vatican at all. Mm -hmm. um, I think even if we do have to report on difficult things about the Vatican, no matter what, like, I am still, like, this is right. still my Pope and this yeah. is still my church. And so right. I'm still doing this, like, out of love and not out of an adversarial right. conflict kind of attitude. Right. Um, so that's just something I've been reflecting yeah. on. Um, but I kind of almost wonder if his answer to that question in a way could kind of set set up that thinking. Mm. Instead of, I would like us all to be partners in this. I would mm. hope that the Pope and everyone in the Catholic Church, that we could all work together right. to bring out the truth, right. you know. So Yeah. But I think it is such a gift to have a, a Catholic journalist because, you know, so many... I mean, this the secular press gets it wrong so often. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, and I, on one level, I kind of don't blame just because they don't understand faith and and things. And uh, but it it really is crazy. I mean, some of the things you see written and emphasis and everything. So that is such a service to have a Catholic media the reporting. You know, they need to be there. And I've noticed, like in World Youth Days. I've been involved in you know World Youth Day coverages for the network and and like I'm thinking like in Spain particularly I remember like Spain and earlier it just seemed like you had a pretty secular group of people reporting I mean they're completely unimpressed seemingly unimpressed by this event or anything this last time in Panama there was like all these Catholic organizations I mean some of them very small town blogosphere stuff but cameras and you know getting writing up stories and it was a a much greater camaraderie feel i remember i was like in spain i was just like talking to some of these people it's like they just they gave you the impression they just couldn't care less about you know they were just doing a job here but uh, it was kind of exciting in panama that uh, and i thought that that's a change you know that's a lot more voices out there catholic voices having a little more say but um, but that also comes with challenges. I mean, the Catholic blogosphere today is almost like a terrorist fight, you know, and it it can be destructive to people's faith. Do you do you read a lot of Twitter, Catholic blogs, and stuff? And what do you observe about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm on Twitter, and um, I try to keep up. I mean, it's part of my job too to read all the religion reporting mm -hmm. and the, the reporting on the Vatican and, and the church and everything that's going on. Um, yeah, it's definitely becoming more polarized 
mm -hmm. I think, you know, and, and more, maybe more politicized. I'm, I, I have not such a long view, you know, I've only been doing this two and a half years. So maybe someone with more history could speak mm -hmm. more to it. But, um, but definitely this sort of framing of things in these political lenses. And then suddenly everything about the church kind of gets divided into those camps too is, mm -hmm. I think it's unfortunate, and I, I don't think that that should be our goal, you know, right. at all. So, Yeah, that's a challenge. Um, there's, oh, I wanted to ask you, too, like, practically, how does it, like, do you go to, you go to press briefings given by the Vatican, and what's all that like? Is it a madhouse? Is, are they taking real questions? Or is it... Tell us what that's like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could maybe just give you like a peek into the day-to-day mm -hmm. -day kind mm -hmm. of work we're doing. Um, uh, during the week, we're covering the regular papal and Vatican events. So sometimes that includes press conferences, often for the release of documents by the various dicasteries in the Vatican or, other, you know, other events that are going on. And they're not crazy at all. Mm -hmm. I mean... There's usually kind of the regulars there, the people who are stationed in Rome covering for their various outlets are there, some cameras, um, and they do, they take our questions. Mm -hmm. They'll usually speak for a little while and then mm -hmm. take our questions. Um, in the meantime, too, sometimes we can reach out to other people just in the meantime for comments, for interviews, questions mm -hmm. that we have, whether it's in the Vatican or just in Rome, because there are a lot of experts in Rome teaching at a lot of the universities, for example. There's mm. obviously lots of priests and religious. Mm. Um, and so we can, you know, speak to them if they'll talk to us. Um, so we, that's what we're usually doing. And then writing up the speeches of the Pope, what he said at the general audience and uh, things of that sort. And do you have like your own like Vaticanista insider that you talk to and get whispers in the logiers? <laughs> 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 um, I mean, I can't give away all my secrets, but uh, <laughs> no, I, I mean, I have a good rapport with uh -huh. other journalists as well, so uh -huh. I can go to them just uh -huh. even to hear their mm -hmm. perspective on things, um, mm -hmm. as well as, I mean, I'm working also on increasing my contacts in Rome, especially mm. experts, because I can't be an expert in everything. Yeah. So, you know, those people I can turn to when I have a question about liturgy, for example, right. or um, yeah. church history, canon law, mm -hmm. you know, those sorts of things. Um, and you but, do a lot of research for a story, like just online, right? Just looking stuff up. Yeah, like, I yeah. mean, in this day and age, yeah. journalism definitely has gotten easier in that yeah. regard. Yeah, but I usually do also turn to people who can point me in the right direction of where to look, for example, if there's something that has to do with um, I think last fall I was writing something that had a lot to do with canon law. So I was asking some professors I knew in Rome who teach that, mm -hmm. and they could point me to like, okay, well, here are the canons that pertain to that issue. So I could yeah. look at them and really think through that. Um, and then, you yeah. know, they could give me yeah. some analysis as well. But yeah. I, I remember in Spain at World Youth Day, they had a, a great preparatory like some months before and like, um, you know, some of the head of the council, like Pontifical Council Lady and others were there. And I, I remember I was impressed by uh, these cardinals and bishops, um, the way they handled themselves and addressed the press. And um, 
it seemed like it was at the church at its, I mean, the church can be very good at diplomacy and speaking in charity and also speaking with a broad vision of for all people that I think comes across in some of a, in some of the hierarchy. Have you noticed that? that you don't have like some rabid politician just flinging out sound bites. You know, there's a polishness there. Yeah. Polish. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's kind of a running joke a little bit about how slow the Vatican can be yeah. sometimes to respond to things. Mm -hmm. But I think that in the end, that's often the path of prudence and wisdom, yeah. right? To take yeah. their time and because they have this universal, this, this global perspective. And I think that can be challenging sometimes just in the sense that each one of us has grown up in a country, in a particular culture, and we've been shaped by that. Mm -hmm. So our thinking will be shaped by that too. And it can be hard sometimes to try to kind of shed that mindset when thinking about something that the Vatican yeah. is talking about or doing and just trying to acknowledge that their viewpoint is going to possibly be different than ours, that their view is going to be for the church in every country and every yeah, place. Yeah. And the churches can be quite different in different countries as well, right. just with their own unique situation. So um, I think that can be, it can be a really good learning experience though too, as well as just um, trying to put yourself in other people's shoes, thinking mm -hmm. about the church in Africa, for example, or in Asia that's yeah. got a significantly different situation than, than right. us. Yeah. Have you done any reporting on uh, some, I don't know the terminology now, but I like there's, uh, I was reading about some woman that addressed the summit on the abuse scandals and she has a higher position in the, one of the dicasteries or I don't know what, mm. do you, have you heard of some of women having more positions of authority? Have you done any stories on that or who are they or? I don't know if I've written, other than just covering the mm. news of their appointments, I don't know that I've done, done anything in depth on mm. that topic, but um, it is true that there are a few women in the hierarchy now. I think the two you might be thinking of mm. um, are two professors, um, two women. They're also both wives and mothers. One was a canon lawyer from the Gregorian. I think, I think yeah, that's yeah, right. And yeah. I'm not going to remember which mm -hmm. was which, but they were both made undersecretaries in the Dicastery for Laity, Family, and Life. So mm -hmm. they're in charge of, I mean, they're kind of in charge of a section, you know, they've got it, the laity section, the life section, and the um, uh, family, no, life, lady, family, yeah, lady, family, and life. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know the two of them well, but everything I've heard about them is, mm -hmm. is very uh, impressive that they are really good advocates, especially for pro-life yeah. issues, pro-family issues. So um, I've been pretty impressed with them. So the undersecretary, a cardinal would be in charge? Right. And then an undersecretary? Or? There would be a, um, typically I think it's, it's um, a cardinal who's the prefect is what they're called, mm -hmm. and then a secretary, mm -hmm. and then um, undersecretaries. Yeah, okay. So if I recall right now, I don't believe that, uh, I don't want to say that because mm -hmm. I might be wrong, okay. but, um, but right now the yeah. prefect of the dicastery is Cardinal Kevin Farrell. Right. Um, right. And I can't remember right now if yeah. there is a secretary. Yeah. 
And let me ask you, this is a technical question about writing. Uh, you studied literature, and I would assume all this ornate prose and everything. What did they teach you about journalism? What did, what, what did you have to change? And mm. get to grab your reader and hold yeah. him for two-thirds well, of the article mm, or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, journalistic writing is, is really kind of a technical skill. Um, mm. And there's kind of, there's a little bit of a formula to it. Yeah. So, if you've already got a, a strong basis of writing and you can write well, mm -hmm. I think that it's not too difficult to um, learn the the style. Yeah. Um, I mean, without going into too much detail, yeah. it's really about like, you know, getting the who, what, where, when, why, uh -huh. the most important information in the first. Yeah paragraphs and working your way down to the lesser yeah. um, important details. Some, sometimes I guess. there's a reveal. They make you read so much. I UK Daily Mail, my brother's crazy about it. He always sends me articles. And they have these bullet points at the top, which I love, but sometimes I don't read the article. And mm. the goal is to get the guy to read the article, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean... <laughs> You know, our favorite readers are the ones that scroll and read all the way to the bottom <laughs> of the story. But we yeah. understand with time yeah. and yeah. attention spans, yeah. it doesn't always happen. And sometimes you get all the information you really need, you know, the uh -huh. minimum information you get it in the first yeah. few graphs. So that's okay, too. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, ideally, right. And you hope that it's engaging and interesting enough that people want to read through yeah. the whole thing, um, especially because we try really hard to make sure the whole thing is relevant, you know, mm. that there's not a lot mm. of unrelevant information in there. But, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if there are, like, tricks or something. I mean, yeah. we try not to get too, uh, you know, we try to avoid clickbait and everything like we're trying to do honest journalism. Right, so. right, right. But sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking with us and sharing your work and faith with us. So keep up the good work. Yeah. Thank you so much, Father. Mm -hmm.